Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk to Mike Taylor, head coach of the Winnipeg Sea Bears. The schedule is out for 2024. How's the team looking? He'll tell us how that's going coming up. Plus, we'll look back at a great weekend of NFL action coming up on the podcast. The Canadian Elite Basketball League has unveiled its schedule for the 2024 season. It includes 20 games involving the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Their second season will begin Wednesday, May 22nd against the Saskatchewan Rattlers with their home opener coming two nights later, Friday, May 24th, against the Scarborough Shooting Stars, the defending CEBL champs. To talk more about this, I caught up with head coach and GM Mike Taylor from his home in Florida earlier today. So, Mike, the schedule is out. You've got uh, 10 home dates, 10 road dates. Uh, I mean, how much stressing do you do over a schedule or is it just, hey, these are the games given to us and we're going to go try to win all of them? Yeah, you know, you just you can't control a lot of it, so you just try to make the best of the situation that you're given. Um, you know, I think we look at the schedule, we see the positives. You know, we've got several home games on the weekends, more than last year. Um, you know, it's it's like anything else. You know, there you can look at anything and complain about it, but we like the the situation, and we're hopeful that uh, you know we can put together a really good team to take on all these challenges. So I'll get to, to that part in, in a moment, but looking at your home games, this year you have four on Saturdays and a Sunday. Last year you had two on Saturdays and a Sunday. So you got more weekend games, and I'm assuming that's by design. Is that something the team asked for? Yeah, you know, I think every time you have a chance to have a weekend game, because people to get excited and something to look forward to. Um, I, I feel like the the opportunity to play at home on a weekend in Winnipeg is really the potential to draw a big crowd. Uh, we looked at our schedule last year, like what could be improved, what could be you know better for us, and and those weekend home game dates. You know, the Canada Life Center is, is a busy place. Uh, there's lots of events in there, so the fact that we've got quite a few uh, home games on weekends, I think, is exciting for the team, exciting for the fans. Uh, that's a really positive part of the schedule for us. And I know Jets fans are hoping that uh, the, there's a couple dates in there that there's hockey with basketball because that means the Jets are playing deep into the season and maybe even the Stanley Cup final as your home opener is on uh, May 24th. Now, that's against Scarborough, a team that didn't play here uh, as last year. As a coach, as a GM, when you have a team coming in for the first time, is that something you're excited that fans get to see other players? Or, or do you really care about who the opponent is? Well, I think you care about the league in general and you want fans to see all the good players from different places and all the exciting teams. Obviously, Scarborough winning the championship is a a big thing for the organization. Um, They have had great teams over the last few years. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to go into Scarborough and beat them last year. Great performance from Teddy Allen. Um, And I know that they'll be ready to play coming out to uh, our place in in Winnipeg. Uh, But I, I feel like it's it's more about you know, preparing our team, taking all the challenges. And there are some attractive games for the fans throughout the season. And you look forward to seeing good teams play. So we want to see the best teams from the East come out here and play them at home. We'd rather play them at home than on the road. Um, but, you know, that's just good for the league when you have, you know, teams coming out and, and fans getting a chance to see the great players from from all around. And you've also, I, I see on the schedule release, something called Sea Bears Week, where you've got three games over the course of seven days, June 16th, 19th, and 22nd. So that's kind of the mega homestand of the year. Yeah, and that's exciting. You know, the marketing team's doing a lot of work. They're, they're you know, thinking ahead and trying to make some plans. 
I think the the Sea Bear Week is really exciting and a lot of fun. I hope the fans have fun with it, and I think there'll be some really cool things, uh, you know, involved uh, around the game. So, uh, yeah, trying to generate that interest, and again, the the fans and the city was so supportive and you know, just responded so tremendously last summer. We hope we can build on it. And and I think Sea Bear Week's a great idea from the team to to get it going. So you mentioned putting together a, a great team. You've got the games, you know, when they're playing, uh, you're playing the games, but you don't necessarily know who's going to be playing for the Sea Bears in these games. How much can you tell us about where things are at in constructing the 2024 Sea Bears? <laughs> Well, what I can tell you is that we're working extremely hard. Uh, we've got great support from David and Jason and the, the ownership. And um, I feel great about where we are in terms of our team. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that are important for us. We want to try to continue with a little continuity. Um, we're not sitting back and just saying, okay, you know, we had a good year last year. We're just going to rest and take it easy. No, we're trying to improve the team. We want to try to take things to the next level. <clears throat> we hope that we can have some you know, players uh, come back uh, and have some players the fans can identify with. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's it's kind of a crapshoot every year. You know, there's different players playing in different leagues. Availability becomes an issue. Personal situations become an issue. So we've got a lot to juggle in terms of building the team. However, um, you know, I feel really good about where we are. Um, our mentality will be to fill the Canadian spots first. Um, and then move on and, and try to piece in with some really uh, elite or talented imp- import players. So uh, February 1st, we can start signing the players that we've protected. We have a handful of protected players on our team. Uh, and then after that, we can move on to the free agents starting March 2nd. So we're trying to position ourselves well over the next several weeks to, you know, to offer some contracts and start building up the team. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can have some guys like what they see in Winnipeg and, and choose to come out and play for us. I think it's important to know the dates because now we know why there hasn't been anything released yet. Like people wondering who is going to be on the team. Now we know why that is. Uh, looking at the league as a whole so far, I think we uh, we can recognize that there is a lot of turnover for a lot of teams uh, because players, as you mentioned, are, are going to try other leagues they're trying still to get to the NBA. That dream is alive for a lot of players. So should fans be prepared to maybe see a, a pretty different Z-Bears team than they saw last year? Well, I think it's fair to say that the, the nature of the league is it's for players that are trying to improve their career and use it as a stepping stone to get to different places. Like you mentioned, certain players, you know, we've seen Xavier Moon, we've seen Lindell Wigginton you know, our own Teddy Allen, these, these players have dreams to get to the NBA uh, and they'll do whatever it takes in, in those steps along the way, but we can be that great stepping stone for them. Uh, I feel like the the whole situation with Winnipeg, we've done a great job of player experience. I think there's a lot of interest in players coming to play for us here in Winnipeg because of what they've seen, the, the support from the crowd, the fans, the city, uh, the organization. Um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to try to put the best team out there. We'd love to have some continuity. We'd love to have some identification figures. You know, you have Chad Posthumus, you have Simon Hildebrand, Winnipeg guys. Maybe there'll be one or two more Winnipeg guys that, that people will recognize as local players. But at the end of the day, we want to try to put together a winning team. Uh, we did a good job of that last year, and we want to try to make the same good decisions again. So uh, change is part of it. Uh, but we also want to try to maintain some consistency as well. 
So defending league MVP Teddy Allen is right now over in the British Basketball League doing well over there. Is there any chance he's back? Teddy's a Winnipeg guy. He loved Winnipeg. He loved his experience from last summer. And, you know, I think he really wants to do everything he can to come back. We want him to come back. Um, I'm really proud of what he's done. It took him a little time to find a, a place to play, but he's found a home in Leicester. He was player of the month, um, you know, in the the last month he was over there. So December, um, and you know, hopefully he can finish the, the season really well. At the end of the day, that's what you want to see from players. But we'll do everything we can to try to get him back, and, and hopefully things will fall in place where we can make that happen. So your day-to-day now, uh, when you're trying to figure out who's going to be on this team, do you have maybe like people written in pen? You got some pencil here that you can erase, maybe a maybe list. How does it work for you to try and, and put the pieces of this puzzle together? Yeah, a lot of phone calls uh, with players, with agents, with, uh, you know, coaches that I trust. Um, so I think you're you're really working the phones, working the, the messages, um, number one. Number two, you're, you're always, you have a picture in your mind, but it's not just about the names. It's about, you know, we have a salary cap in the league. You've got to try to find ways to build your organization in terms of the, the you know, active players, the you know, the, the organizational depth with, you know, your youth sport and your practice players. So we're working on several levels to try to bring it all together. And we did a very good job of that last year. Uh, and I hope that we can, you know, put something similar together this year. Last weekend, you know, we were in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, we watched a G League game, uh, scouted several players out there. So from time to time, there are the, the recruiting trips, the scouting trips where we're trying to, you know, target key guys that we'd love to have in Winnipeg for the summer. Uh, and again, you know, David has been super supportive. Um, you know, he's given us every opportunity to put the type of team together that we want. Uh, and I'm really thankful for that. So it's a hustle, uh, but it's fun. And I hope that we can have, again, have the same type of success with the roster like we did last year. Now, if you look back at last year's squad, what would you say is the biggest area of need to address? What do you think was the maybe the biggest flaw you had last year that you'd like to improve on this year? Well, there's several things. You know, I think that the, the, the lineups that we played, we tried to play big. And as you saw throughout the summer, we were a little vulnerable against smaller lineup teams. You know, Edmonton, to, for example, um, you know, our transition defense in those situations suffered. We struggled to guard big man, three point shooters, you know, a, a guy like Brody Clark or in Ottawa when they had the small lineup and they actually played a guy, Jackson Rowe at the five. So we want to try to have a little bit better balance, a little bit better depth in terms of, um, you know, our lineups where we, we can match up better with smaller opponents. Uh, um, I'd love to see us get, you know, a little bit more front court, three point shooting, one of the things we did when we played big, uh, we were a situation where we rebounded well. We did a lot of good things physically, um, but there were also times where, whether it's a perimeter player that teams didn't respect as shooters, they also the same thing in the front court. They could just crowd the paint because they felt like, okay, we'll live with an EJ and a CK three. We'll live with some other guys that are out there shooting threes. So front court three point shooting is a priority for us, um, you know, and then again, the, the big thing is you want to try to upgrade, you know, in the certain positions that you feel like, hey, we can get a player who's a little bit more consistent, a little bit better, um, you know, in certain areas. So 
you know, overall, these are some of the things that we've talked about. Um, and hopefully we can address those needs as, as we build the team up, you know, over the next, uh, let's say, two months. Well, Mike, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this. And best of luck as you get things ready for the 2024 season. Christian, I appreciate it. And just want to give a shout out to all the Seabears fans in Winnipeg. Can't wait to the season and really look forward to, to all the exciting CBL basketball in Winnipeg this summer. Mike Taylor, head coach and GM of the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Their season begins Friday, May 24th. Their home schedule, that is, begins Friday, May 24th against Scarborough. Their first game two days before that in Saskatchewan. We are down to four teams in the NFL playoffs after the divisional round saw four games come and go. What is traditionally the best weekend of NFL football during the entire year? More or less lived up to that billing. And let's get to all that we saw in the divisional round NFL recap. We start in Baltimore, where the Ravens were looking to shed their recent reputation as playoff underachievers. They've got MVP Lamar Jackson. But he's 1-3 in the playoffs. That's not great. And against a Houston Texans team playing with house money, the Ravens were favored by almost 10 points. So Houston wins the toss. They want the ball. They gain 7 yards in punt. Baltimore gets a 3 off a Justin Tucker 53-yarder. He's very good. Houston gets even with a Kaimi Fairburn 50-yarder. He's good, but not as good as Tucker. 3 all after 1. But here come the Ravens. 11 plays. 76 yards. Bang. It's in the end zone. 10-3 lead. And the Texans go 3-0. and out, And then the Ravens do as well before a game-changing play. Steven Sims gets free for a punt return touchdown. We're tied. Oh, Ravens. And then Baltimore goes three and out again. Things are tightening up, and now the Texans have the ball inside the Ravens' 30. They settle for a 47-yard field goal attempt, but Fairbairn misses it, so we stay tied at 10 at the half, which is when Baltimore realizes they're way better than Houston, and they decide to show it. They immediately rip down field with Jackson capping off the drive with a 15-yard run to the end zone. Houston punts, pinning them at Baltimore 7, but no matter. Jackson drives them right down the field again for a 12-play scoring drive. Takes over 7 minutes off the clock. It rips the Texans' heart out. A great catch from Will likely puts them up 14, and then the Texans go 3 and out again. Another Ravens scoring drive. Yada yada. Second half domination. 34-10 is the final. It was a little sticky for a while, but the Ravens got it done, and their defense looks amazing. They're back in the AFC title game for the first time since winning the Super Bowl 11 years ago. And it's the first AFC title game in Baltimore since the first AFC title game ever. Wow. Saturday night, the Packers and Niners in the pouring California rain. Packers want the ball first, and they start carving up the vaunted Niners defense. A 15-play drive that stalls out in the red zone. 3-0 Packers after one into the second. Another promising Packers drive gets down to the Niners 14, and it's time for a decision. Green Bay... They're playing a win, fourth and one. Jordan Love tries to sneak it, but no, he cannot get there. There was a bad spot in there too, I think, for the Packers, but it's a huge turnover, and San Fran makes him pay with a touchdown drive capped off by George Kittle. 32-yard grab for the score. Niners are up by four. Green Bay again inside the red zone. Again, they settle for three, but they also block a field goal right before half, so San Fran is up 7-6 at the break, and Green Bay... Well, scoring six points on three red zone trips, not great, not very efficient, but they make up for it in the third after San Fran goes three and out, and Brock Purdy struggles with the rain. The Packers get a huge pass interference call. It gives them 41 yards, puts them inside the Niners 20. Next play, Love hits Bo Melton for a 19-yard strike, and the Packers lead for about two minutes. Purdy to Christian McCaffrey for four, then an incompletion, then to Kittle for 32, and then McCaffrey takes the ball and rushes for a 39-yard touchdown, and the Niners are back up by one. But the Packers respond again with a huge special teams play. Well, two in one, really. A massive kick return, but then the returner fumbles, but Green Bay recovers it, 
And so they start at the Niners 20, and four plays later, they're in the end zone. They go for two. They get it. And they lead by seven going to the fourth, looking to pull off the upset. But before the third was complete, Love was picked, and the Niners turned that into three points to cut the lead to four early in the fourth. A couple punts later, there goes Aaron Jones for a 53-yard dash. Holy smokes, if the Packers get a touchdown here, it might be over. But the Niners' defense rises up. They force a field goal with just over six minutes left. However, Anders Carlson, who isn't very good, misses from 41. So it's time for San Francisco to put together the drive. Starting from their own 31, they gain 7 and 2 and 2 and 5 and 10 and 17 and 8 and 3 and 0 and 9. And now it's third and one from the Green Bay 6 with just 71 seconds left. And it's McCaffrey. Who else for a touchdown? Niners lead, but not much time left. Still, Green Bay has a chance. A little bit of hope to kick a field goal, but Love, who has often been compared to Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre for the way he effortlessly throws the ball and his footwork, channels his true Favre instincts by throwing across his body to the middle of the field and to the waiting arms of a Niners defender for the soul-crushing game-ending interception. Vikings fans immediately get PSD back to Favre in the Superdome, almost a carbon copy play, but it sends the Niners to the title game. Who would they be hosting? The Lions or the Buccaneers? Yes, one of those two teams would be playing for a trip to the Super Bowl next week. The joints is bumping in Detroit, who get to host another playoff game, and the team straight punts and field goals in the first before Detroit ignites the crowd early in the second. Jared Goff to Josh Reynolds for a nine-yard score. 10-3 Lions, and the defenses settle in from there. Tampa misses a 50-yard field goal. Looks like it might be 10-3 at the half, but Baker Mayfield has other ideas. Starting at his own eight with 88 seconds left, he engineers a seven-play drive capped off by a Kate Lawton touchdown from two yards away. And it's 10 all at the break. Still tied with less than five minutes left in the third and Detroit is second and goal from the one and Goff tries to throw and it's incomplete. Then third down from the one, Goff tries to throw and it's incomplete. Fourth down from the one. Of course they're going for it. And they remember, hey, uh, we can run the ball. And so they give the ball to Craig Reynolds, no relation to Josh Reynolds, who scored Detroit's first touchdown. And not to be confused with the guy who runs the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, he bursts through the gates and Detroit's back ahead. But Tampa won't go away. Rashad White with the catch and run for a 12-yard score. And we're even again after three. The back and forth continues. Detroit marches right down the field in five plays. Rookie Jameer Gibbs with a 31-yard sprint to Paydirt. And finally, the Lions defense makes a stand, forcing a three and out, and the offense backs it up with another monster drive. This one covers 89 yards, and Amon Ross St. Brown gets the score to put them up 14. It feels like game over, but credit this Bucks team. They are not going away. With just over six minutes left, and on fourth and 14 from their own 32, they have to go for it, and Mayfield hits Mike Evans for a gain of 24. A few plays later, Evans gets a 16-yard touchdown, and now they're going to go for two to cut the lead to six, which is huge because the spread is six and a half. But Mayfield's throw to Evans in the corner is incomplete. Some contact, no call. The Bucks now need to stop. Detroit gets it into Tampa Bay territory. One more first down. They can kick a field goal. Two more. They can kneel it out. Tampa gets off the field, though. They force a punt, and now Mayfield has a chance down eight to drive the field. Uh, he's picked on the very first play of the drive. And Detroit is off to San Francisco. But hold on a sec. The Lions are in victory formation, and Tampa has one timeout left. No point of using it except Detroit on third down kneels with 37 seconds left. Tampa can use their timeout and hope to block a field goal. You never know. Instead, they just eat it and time runs out. Okay. Good for Detroit, though. They go over half a century with one playoff win. They get two in a week. Awesome. And finally, the game everyone's been dying to watch. Chiefs at Bills. 
Patrick Mahomes in his first road playoff game against Josh Allen and a Buffalo squad looking to finally get over the hump. It was everything you could have hoped for early. Each team marching down the field, though, having to settle for field goals before Buffalo takes it 75 yards in 11 plays with Allen barging in from five yards out for the game's first touchdown. Another Chiefs field goal before, gasp, the Bills have to punt. Mahomes and company immediately make Buffalo pay. Gains of 12, 3, 28 before Mahomes finds Travis Kelsey wide open for the touchdown. Taylor Swift is thrilled. So is his brother, Jason, who is shirtless and chugging a beer in the Sweden. Is that Zach Kolaris in the suite too? Hi, Zach. 13-10 Chiefs, but the Bills, of course they respond. They gash the Chiefs with the run and with short passes, and it leads to a two-yard Allen rush. It breaks the plane, and the Bills have a 17-13 halftime lead. It's shaping up to be one of those classic games where the team with the ball last is going to score with no time left to win it, right? Well, the Chiefs start the third with the ball, and wow, in just over three minutes, they're in the end zone. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who has dropped a number of big throws this year, gets the half started with a great 30-yard catch. Mahomes scrambles for 24. There's Isaiah Pacheco bounding his feet to the tune of a 14-yard gain. And it's all sealed off with, you guessed it, a Kelsey touchdown, and the Chiefs are ahead. It took six plays. Buffalo, then, has a 15-play drive. True matriculation. And on third and goal from the 13, Allen scrambles to his left and fires a missile to Khalil Shakir in the corner of the end zone. It's a perfect pass. It's a perfect catch. And it's 24-20 Buffalo. But the Chiefs, they're driving to start the fourth. Of course, they're going to get it in again. They face zero third downs. They carve up the increasingly injured Bills defense. Pacheco from four yards out makes it 27-24 with 14-20 left. And it's only three because even though the Bills took an offside penalty on the convert, which usually leads to teams going for two from the one-yard line, Casey says, now we'll just take the convert and force it on the kickoff and boot the ball right through the end zone. Not sure what the point of that was. And this is where the very normal back-and-forth game gets wacky, goes off the rails, and lights the script on fire. Bills go three and out, but in punt formation, they notice, hey, the Chiefs only have 10 guys out there. Let's run a fake. But it's not a good play. They don't get close to the first down, and now Kansas City has the ball up by three, the ball at the 32, and immediately down to the three because Pacheco nearly scored on their next play. But you probably should have given it to him again, right? They're running it right down their throats. No, you know what? Let's run a jet sweep with McCole Hardman, who has barely played. He has one touch in the game, and it was a fumble that the Chiefs recovered. He's brought down short of the goal line, but the ball is out again. It goes through the end zone, and after video review, that's a touchback. The rule sucks, but Buffalo gets bailed out after their bad fake punt, and with that gift, they immediately go three and out and punt again. But the Bills D steps up. They force a punt, and so now Buffalo down three. The ball and eight and a half minutes left. You know what it's time for. It's time for the drive. They start getting first downs, and you start to think, how can they score but also give Mahomes no time to come back? Well, here we go. Third and 10 from the Bills, 43, under six minutes left. Allen is running, and he's been so bad with turnovers this season, but so good this postseason at protecting the ball. But he fumbles. Oh, no. But the Bills, they get on the ball. Oh, there are a lot of Chiefs around it. They save their season. And on fourth and three, they gain 10. The dream lives. Third and four from the 34, they gain seven. Now under three minutes left from the 27, gain of one. And then two incomplete passes in a row as Allen goes deep instead of taking shorter looks. And now they have to try a 44-yard field goal. It's a bit windy. And Tyler Bass kicks it. And it's looking, oh, God, it just took a sharp turn to the right. No good. Wide right. Scott Norwood flashbacks giving Bills nightmares. Oh, God. 143 to go. Kansas City just needs a first down, and they get that, and they're off to Baltimore. The Chiefs rip the Bills' hearts out again. What a game. What a weekend. And now we're down to just four teams vying for the Super Bowl title. And in case you're keeping track at home, Skyler Peters went 1-3 and three on his NFL picks. 
He had Buffalo or Baltimore minus six and a half halftime spread. Nope. San Francisco minus six and a half halftime spread. Nope. Tampa Bay plus six and a half in Detroit. Nope. <laughs> but then he had the Casey money line. So at least there's that to salvage his weekend. And we'll do the picks on Thursday this week as I'm off Friday to call some Westman basketball games. So stay tuned for that. We'll take a break. When we come back, curling playdowns underway across Canada in Manitoba and Morden this week. The Scotties are, are starting tonight. So we'll get you caught up on what's happened so far and what's going to happen this week next. Thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect. 